Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 208, Dissecting a Wing Bone Collar with Mark Sharp. And I am your host... And the birthday boy this week. I've got another one of those rolling around here in a couple of days. And fortunately for me, I don't feel it. But I'm getting awfully close to that half century mark. All right, I've got a rather long show for you guys today. So my intro and outro are going to be pretty brief this week. This week's interview is with Mark Sharp, who is a turkey call maker from Georgia. And Mark is a name that I kept running across online when I was researching this topic. And because of that, I felt like I needed to get him on the show to share his knowledge with us. And this is a really good one. There's some great info in here. Mark is a super nice guy, very knowledgeable. And let's get into it. I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line today Mark Sharp, who is, I guess the best way to describe Mark is he's a turkey hunter. Not only is he a turkey hunter, but he's a turkey call maker. And so I've been wanting to get someone on the show that can talk to us about how to make wing bone calls, kind of what we need to look for in the actual bones, that kind of thing. And so I started digging around online, and it seems like everywhere I looked, every forum I read, every Facebook fan page I went to, there was one name that consistently came up on every single one of those, and that is Mark Sharp. So I dug down and was able to track him down and tricked him into coming on the show today. So Mark, how are you and where are you? Hey, Andy, man, I'm doing fine, and I'm glad to be a part of your show. And I'm down here in a little old town about 45 miles northwest of Savannah, a little town called Claxton, Georgia. And uh, like I said, I'm glad to be on your show. Well, man, I appreciate you taking time out and coming on to talk to us about this. And I'm interested in it, and I read quite a few posts on one of the forums, and I'm not going to say which one it is. If people want to find you on the forums, they can go out there and find you. But one of the posts that I read was talking about some of the different kinds of bones to use, or actually you were talking about some of the different kind of bones to use and so on and so forth. And so I'm, I'm really interested in this. But before we get into it, 
I want you to tell us a little bit about you and yeah. how you got into turkey hunting. Well, I'll tell you, I've, I've always fished Fort Stewart down here. It's a big military reservation. You know, my uncle and I were out sitting out cat hooks one, one year, and it was in the spring of the year, and the county that I live in didn't have a turkey season. Mm-hmm. These old boys come by in a big old jacked-up truck, you know, and tires roaring and everything else. And when they come by, they, they shook an old gobble tube out there. And I, I heard that old gobble tube, and I thought then, I said, you know, that's something other that I think I want to get into is turkey hunting. I'd always been a deer hunter ever since I was a little boy. You know, it's like Christmas time when deer season opened up. And so anyway, I, I'd grown up hunting. This guy shook that gobble tube, and I'm thinking, you know, that, that's got to be a, a thrill right there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got into it. Uh, I, I didn't know anybody turkey hunted. I had an, a great uncle that he, he never participated in any turkey hunting. He was a big deer hunter. But his dad and his granddad had always turkey hunted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was my only source that I could go to 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 ask any questions, being my, my granddad and my great-granddad and his granddad had passed away. Yeah. So anyway, I went to him and I asked him, I said, Uncle L, I said, do you know anything about this turkey hunting? And he said, well, the only thing I can tell you is, he said, uh, you get you somewhere or another that, that's got a few turkeys in it. He said, you go in there, and he said, you hit that call two or three times, and he said, if one ever answers you, he said, you just put your call down and sit there and wait. And he said, they might want to run up from behind you that never said a word. And I lived by that for for quite a few years. And, you know, then I got into to listening to the audio tapes. There wasn't any such thing as a CD or a DVD back then. Mm-hmm. And I got into listening to some audio tapes, and I got to learning about the mating cackle and and all this kind of stuff, and it just kind of seemed like my kill ratio went down after I kind of strayed away from what my uncle told me. And, yeah. You know, I I got started in 1984, so I guess this year makes my 34th year of turkey hunting. Wow. And, uh, you know, I've been at it quite a while. I I don't have very little private land that I can hunt. And, you know, I, I know a lot of guys talking about private versus public, and, I did join a club one time that's supposed to be in private. It wasn't supposed to be, but three of us that turkey hunted on it and ended up there was about 12 head that hunted on 2,000 acres of land over there. So, yeah. you know, and the guy that got me into it, I never could seem to beat him there in the morning times, and I'd keep getting there <laughs> earlier and earlier and earlier, and he would too. But anyway, uh, I've oh, hunted predominantly <laughs> private uh, public land, you know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I've learned to hunt these birds down here in Fort Stewart, and I've had my butt kicked several times. You know, in fact, uh, a good friend of mine, he and I, I called up his first bird, and he went on to call for real tree. Well, I think he started off with uh, Magnum Game calls, and then he went to real tree, and now he's with night and hail. And, you know, he's done real good in that. I'm happy for him. And, he and I don't get to spend as much time in the woods now, as, you know, as either one of us would like. But, you know, I've, <laughs> this turkey hunting even become so much of an obsession. It cost me a wife. I, I, I've been through that 
big divorce. And, mm-hmm. But I have to say that my little wife that I got right now, she's my favorite hunting partner. There you, you know, she doesn't knock me whenever I buy a call. In fact, she's even taking a few calls from me. You know, I, I spent 10, 11 years working out on the road and I'd get a call in the mail and I'd tell her, I'd say, pull it out of there. And she'd pull it out and she'd play it. And she said, this is mine. So <laughs> I'd have to go and buy, go and get me another call. But down through the years, my deer hunting has become virtually nothing. Turkey hunting has, is just taken over my life. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I've been doing it for 34 years and really and truly, I, I just kind of wanted to get back to simplicity. You know, I've got enough pot calls in there that I don't know. You know, you could play one every day of the season and never run out of a pot call. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just kind of got into the box calls and the air-operated calls, and I've been playing air-operated calls uh, since about 2000. The same guy that that uh, went on the call with Night and Hail and all, and he's a pro staff member for them now, Kerry Terrell. You know, he bought me my first little old Ralph Permar three-jointed yelper. And, you know, now I think I've probably got 50 or 60 of them in there. And so, you know, I mean, I, I just, I love what I'm doing. I love being out here in the shop. Sometimes you kind of have to watch it because it kind of interferes with your home life. Yeah. You get so many people on a on a list and all there, and you feel like you've got to get them all done. And you know your wife's wanting to go here or there or whatever, and so you know you just have to you just have to adjust, and you have to make those adjustments and say, well, you know, which one is the most important, my marriage or or this call making business? But I've been real successful with it, and I, I thank everybody you know that's bought a call from me. You know, I, I joined the forums in 2009. That, that's my first time that I ever joined, and I got to putting a few calls up there. And you know, people got to liking them. And I have to say that I that I have never offered a call for sale. You know. Yeah. You know, I've never put anything up that said, "Hey, I've got this call for sale." If anybody's interested. You know, and I put some calls in some good hands on some guys that I knew would use them. I got one guy over in Alabama over there that <laughs> I, I built him a call. He He's just pure out turkey killer. And I built him this call, and I sent it to him. And last time I saw it, you couldn't even see the feather on it, you know. I And, and I'll tell you, my, my artwork has improved down through the years. And this, this guy's got this call, and the finish is about beat off of it. And I told him, I said, "Won't you send that thing back to me, and you know I'll make it look brand new again?" And he said, "Oh, this thing, <laughs> I'm not trusting this thing to the U.S. Postal Service." <laughs> and, but you know that that about sums me up as far as you know where I'm at right now. Yeah. So you know. I, I guess that's me. Uh, I'll t- I will tell you this. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in in I've given calls away to kids and all before. Uh, one year I had two little old guys walk up to me there in Nashville. I was in Russell Beard's booth over there. And, mm-hmm. You know, I had two calls left, and two little boys walked up. And they wanted to know what I get for those calls. I said, well, how much you got in your pocket? And they said, well, not much after buying these mouth calls. And I said, well, pick that call up and play it. And 
you know, you know, a youngin' can pick one up, and hey, they're much more advanced than what adults are sometimes, as far as that, because they don't have any bad habits. Right. <clears throat> and so, they picked these calls up, and they went to playing them, and I reached around there. I got a little plastic shipping tube that I put them in, or a little plastic tube, and you know, a little write up with each call, and a lanyard comes with it, and all that, and I stuck them down in there. Handed one to one and one to the other one, and boy, they went off happy as could be. But you know, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to do some stuff like that. I mean, you know, it just warms your heart to see a kid smile. Oh yeah. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at with all that. Yeah, so. no, there's no doubt about that. You know, you mentioned that hunting club that you got in, and I think I was in that same club. I always have a hard time beating beating somebody there in the morning time to get to the secret spot that everybody knows about. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, the way I look at private versus public, where I hunt at, there's 286,000 acres down there compared to this 2,000-acre club with 12 people on it. And, you know, it don't take but but three or four times a of going in on a piece of, of, of private land right there, and you might as well be hunting public land. That's exactly You know, when right. you got everybody concentrated in one area there. Yeah. Yep. No doubt about it. So tell us about your call company. You know, I mentioned that, that you have the call company. You've mentioned it as well. But tell us a little bit about the company, the types of callers that you make, and what kind of callers you really are best known for. Well, really and truly... I, I don't consider myself a company. I'm just an individual out here in a little old shop building a few calls. And what I, what I predominantly build, or the only thing that I build, is I build wing bones. I build a river cane call, and I build a Jordan-style call that's fashioned after Charles Jordan's call. And I build, on occasion, when I've got the material, I've got a good friend that, that will send me some big bamboo. I mean, it might be anywhere from an inch to a inch and a quarter, but it's got a little tiny hole up through it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's about 2,500 different varieties of bamboo. And all the bamboo around here has got a big old hole as big as your thumb. But, you know, I, I got this bamboo from him, and I'm able to fashion it in, in, in a, you know, into a good call. So I guess basically what you can say is I build wing bones, cane yelpers, Jordan style yelpers, and and this bamboo yelper, and you know that's that's kind of where I'm at there now. And you know I've got uh, about three calls here laying here by me. I've got a uh, two wing bones. Uh, I've got the first one that I ever built. Well, I won't say the first one that I ever built because. The first two or three that I ever built didn't sound worth the flip. I've since robbed the bones out of them once I figured out what I was yeah. supposed to be doing. And uh, But this one came out pretty good. It's got a cork lip stop on it. And, you know, a lot of people don't like cork. I don't like cork myself because it has such a memory to it. Right. But I found out that once you set that cork where it needs to be at and don't ever move it, everything sounds fine. But here's the problem with turkey hunters. They're finaglers. You know, <laughs> they like to move stuff. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever had a box call I hadn't tinkered with. Yeah, yeah I know. And, and that, that's kind of me, you know. I, I wanted to get back into the old style making of calls. 
like I said, you know, I, I don't even hunt with a pot call anymore. I don't hunt with a mouth call anymore. What you'll find me in the woods with is either air-operated calls, wing bones or trumpets, cane yelper, bamboo yelper, whatever, and a good yep. box call. If you want to, I'll, I'll take just a minute and, and run through these three calls for you here. So you've got two wing bones, and do you have one of those cane yelpers right there? No, what I've got is one of these bamboo yelpers here. Yeah, I, I'll be I'm honest with too. you, every cane yelper I've ever built, I, I've I had one for myself, I had one for my wife, and somehow or another up in Nashville, Tennessee, up there at the Grand Nationals one year, we was up there, and my wife had one cane yelper between the two of us, and I'd, I'd made it specially for her. And, you know, a guy come up to me and wanted to know what, what I got for him and all of that. And so I said, well, here, I told him what I got. And then she come to me and she said, well, if you want to give him this cane yelper, you can always build me another one. But I've been so busy building cane yelpers for other people that somehow or another over the last two years, I hadn't been able to build her one or myself one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm going to step out here and I'm going to set this phone down and all right. I walk here, here and give you a little playing on them. That'd be great. This first one I'm going to play here, this is the first one that I built. And I'll tell you, it's, it's strictly out of old gobbler bones, but I think it's got a pretty good tone to it. But anyway, you give a listen, and, and you can tell me what you think. All right. That's the first one that I ever built right there since I started building these things. And, and I'm, I'm going to play a little hen bone here. Okay. I don't get a whole lot of hen bones. Generally, what I get, what I keep for myself is is something that you know, I'm going to say this. Well, when, when you're dealing with people, you kind of have to be a mind of, that you might put the, the call in the hands of someone who, who doesn't have 16, 17 years experience in playing one. Right. Most of the people that I talk to, that's what they want is a hen bone. And and most people will play one way too hard, you know, to get the, the, the good effects out of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I generally end up with is something other that, that I'm not going to send out to somebody because it takes a little bit more finesse to play. You know, if I send it out, I want Joe Blow to be able to pick it up and play it. Right. So uh, here's this little wing bone, and, and so, I, I, you know, I'm going to play it for you. Here you go.
but I was a little hen wing bone. That's outstanding. Let me get this old bamboo yipper out here. I sent this call off. Good friend of mine, Kelly Puckett, does some wood burning and all. And I built three of these calls right to begin with. That's all the pieces of bamboo the guy had. And I built one that went to Missouri and I built this one and built my buddy Russell one. And the one that went to Missouri, it had a strutting gobbler on it. This one's got a, a hen just ready to pitch down at early morning off the limb. Oh, cool. And Russell's had a flying hen on it. But anyway, uh, this is this is a piece of bamboo on the end. It's got a piece of river cane in the center section and a river cane in the mouthpiece. And I'll step off here and play it for you. Okay. there we got those three calls that is outstanding that was really good i appreciate you playing those you know they just are so realistic and well i should say they're so realistic when someone who knows how to play them that's not me uh (laughs) plays them (laughs) but but you well, know, I mean that that really is that that is like mind blowing how realistic that is. Uh, you know, to me, I think that that might be next to natural voice calling. You know, somebody that's as, that's real good with natural voice calling. Well, I I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I for ten years I sat around in a camper at night with uh, very little to watch on TV. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there and just practice a club, you know. I mean, I, I've had guys walk up to the table before and they pick one up, and you know they they want to try to whistle Dixie on it. They they want to go through every every sound that a turkey can make, you know. Right. And right. and one of the things that that people ask you, well, can you gobble on one? Yeah, I can gobble on one, you know, to a degree that. I, am I going to hunt with it, and am I going to use it in the woods? No, I'm not, because there's so many other calls out there that will produce a, a lot better gobble. But I've I've sat in that camper a long time at night just seeing just how softly I could make that cluck, seeing just how softly I could make that yelp. 
you know, just closing my eyes mm-hmm. and, and, and just envisioning that hen standing at 20 yards from me out there, you know, and she's just making a little soft pop. Just, just a little sound like that, or just a little whine, you know. Just those little subtle sounds like that, you know. I mean, just close your eyes, and in your mind's eye, you see this hen standing out there, and she's sitting there. You know, it's kind of like one time I, I had a hen so far from me that I couldn't hear her, but I picked up a set of binoculars and put it to my eyes, and I could hear everything that that hen was saying, you know, just by watching her yeah. her beak move. And so, you know, that that's kind of the way that I have practiced. And another thing, too, you know, I'm a call maker. I, I, I'm out here in this shop every afternoon. I've got a call to my mouth every day. Right. And yeah. and that's one of the things that I think that a lot of these guys don't realize. I see them all the times on Facebook, on the forums, and all that two weeks before the season come in. But I broke out the old trumpet. I broke out the old wing bone. Decided I'd practice a little bit. You know, they're practicing going down the road. But number one, you got to concentrate on your driving going down the road and make sure you don't rear in somebody or run through a red light or, or what have you, you know. I, I believe that, that you need to get by yourself somewhere or another. You need to get in the woods and see just what kind of sounds that you can actually get out of one, and, and you don't need to start two weeks before the season comes in. So I agree. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit more about practicing in a minute, but so before we really dig in, and start dissecting a wing bone call. If someone wants to get in touch with you, if they want a, a wing bone call and they want to look at what you've got or buy some of your callers, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, I've got a Facebook page over there, Mark Sharp. You know, as far as the forums go, I used to be on the forums. I'm still on there. I don't post up a whole lot of pictures over there on the forums right now. You know, photo bucket was my big thing. You know, mm-hmm. you post up the photo bucket, and, I, and I've got a lot of stuff over there. But some of the forums didn't want the call makers in with the turkey call conversation, so they buried it in a different form. And, you know, so, so I'm. And another one over there, you know, like I said, photo bucket was so user friendly that that's what I use. And I've never picked up Flickr or Imager or anything like that. Yeah. So right now, mainly I'm on on Facebook. I, I do that. You know, feel free to my number is 912-531-1845. Pick up the telephone. Give me a call. A friend of mine, Russell Beard, he and I started up the Unicoi Callmaker Show in 2016 was our first year. And that's kind of an interesting story behind that. You know, we were at a show in 2015 and just seemed like all this was going downhill. And he told me he's not on the forums very much. He said, you know, you're pretty good on these forums. He said, why don't you see what it'll take to get these shows back up and going? Mm-hmm. And so I ask around, and, you know, a lot of the places that you go to, they're going to charge you an admission fee, $8 to get in. I heard from one guy that, you know, he and his wife and 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 three kids would come to a show, and it was eight, uh, 
40 bucks to get in and then by the time they ate something that was another 40 bucks and he could go online and and order two calls for the price of an admission fee yeah plus he still had to buy the call at the show so you know i asked around and everybody wanted to know about this show and i was wanting to know about it too where would be the best place to hold it well the georgia state used to be at unicoi and for whatever reason they got to moving it around and and it just dropped off and the biggest answer i could get was to move it back to unicoi where it needed to be unicoi is a that show started in the in the late sixties, early seventies as mainly a trade show. And so I you know, I got on the phone and I got to calling some of these old timers about Unicoi. How would you like to have it come back? And you know, the answers that I got from them was, Man, we've been praying for somebody to come along and resurrect this show at Unicoi. You know, we feel like we're too old at this stage to bring it back and so yeah. Russell and I put our heads together, and we decided we would bring this show back to Unicoi. And, and next year will be our fourth year there. And we've got, you know, 70, 75-plus call makers in there of all different qualities, from Lamar Williams, Darren Dawkins, Steve Mann, Billy Bites, right on down to, to guys that haven't been building calls but just three or four years. Mm-hmm. You know, something for everybody. And there's no admission fee to it. We, we're there on Fridays and Saturdays, and it's always the second weekend in January. You know, and we've had we've had a good turnout, a lot of success. It's a lot of work, but, you know, I enjoy doing it. Uh, I enjoy putting this show on. I get to meet a lot of people. You know, we've got folks from Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and as far west as Texas, you know, mm-hmm. that come and set up at this show. So it's been a super success in my eyes. And I think that the guys that are coming, we have uh, a couple of knife makers, custom knife makers that come. This year, we've got two or three authors that's going to be set up there, which two of them's been there before. Uh, we've got a new one coming in, and that's Larry Prophet. And Larry has written a book entitled A Letter to My Grandsons, or Letter to My Grandsons, in in which I've got a, a little spot in that book there that Larry called me and wanted me to send him a memorable hunt. So I did, and, and you know, Larry's, he, he spoke about me in there. Larry's got a couple of my wing bones, and, you know, we've got Glenda Green. She's coming. She, she makes a call bag, you know that everybody seems to like and I'm interested in looking at those this year. We've got several people coming that's that makes pot call pouches, box call pouches mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. We got a a few locator call guys coming. And it's just a it's just a great show and the thing about it is is you know at night time everybody sits around the fire, chews fat, tells old hunting stories, and you know, whether they be true or not, I'm not I'm not here to say, <laughs> but you know it's just a great time, and it's and it's not it's it's not the rush, it, it's not the hurry up, and let's get out of here that Nashville is. You know, I mean, Friday night we have a buffet supper there, and everybody comes back, sits around the fire. You know, we'll be up till one or two o'clock in the morning out there. You know, just having a good time and socializing with people, and it's 
it's just, you know, if you want to talk to me, hey, come back behind my table over here and we'll talk. And everybody there is the same way. You know, it's just a good old bunch of turkey hunters getting together one time a year and putting on a real good show. And, and like I said, I got to give a plug here from my buddy Russell Beard there, a uh, Russell call maker and, and a darn good one that Bill's box calls. And so, you know, it's it's a lot of work, but it's real enjoyable. I look forward to it every year, you know. Yeah. So, you know, between Unicor and Nashville, I go to Nashville every year. I don't ever carry a call up there with me. They don't, they frown on people selling out of a bag. And, and in fact, same way with us at Unicor, you know, because if a guy pays his money for a table, then he ought not to have to compete with a guy that doesn't have anything invested in the show, but him being there, you know. Right. So, you know, I've had people to, to get with me at Nashville and say, you didn't bring any calls. No, I didn't bring any calls. You know, I don't have a booth here. I'm not in, in anybody's booth. So no, I don't have a call, but you know, uh, like I said, I, you know, I gave you my phone number there. I'm on Facebook, uh, word of mouth, word of mouth to me is, is one of the best sellers that I have had, you know, is satisfied yeah. customers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it goes a long way to get one of those callers in the hands of somebody that can work it because then when the people that hunt with that person hear how good that call runs, they want one. Right, right. Yeah, it's like going fishing with a buddy that's got a lure that you don't have and he's out catching you two to one. The first thing you do when you get back home is go buy one of those lures. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And buy every one of them on the card. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I've uh, for everybody listening to the show, I have not been to Unicoi yet. Yeah. And this coming year is probably the year that I'm going to go because I have heard nothing but outstanding comments from people about the show. And so yeah. it's got me wanting to go and see what it's all about. So that, you know, everyone's comments and then you talking about it, it's got yeah. me pretty fired up and I think I can easily skip a weekend of deer hunting to go up, go and enjoy some hanging out with some turkey callers. And well, good. We, we would definitely love to have you there. Yeah. Yeah. So very good. Yeah. Well, I may, I may bring the microphone up there and just do some interviews if, if. Hey, that would be wonderful. Would like yeah. That. Yeah. So good deal. Yeah. So let's dig in here to these wing bone calls. What is it, in your opinion, that makes a wing bone such a good caller? Well, actually, it's two things. It's the guy behind the call, and it's the material that it's made out of itself. Now, you know, it, 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 it's, it's hard. It's uh, weatherproof. You know, I, I, I put a, a clear coat on mine, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't put so much on there that it deadens the sound. I mean, I don't want a plastic call. Right. But, you know, I I put enough on there to keep the natural sound of that call in there. And and from what I've been told, and I've talked to several guys before that builds trumpets and all like that, and, you know, and they tell me that it sounds the most authentic uh, when when you record a turkey's voice that a wing bone sounds the most like that turkey's voice. And another thing that I think, too, is, you know, this is the oldest type of call that there is. You know, 
I think it's a lot of nostalgia. I think it's the fact that it sounds really good. I think it's the fact that, you know, people want henbone turkey calls that's higher pitched. But once they get proficient at playing these calls, they can get gobbler sounds and all out of them, you know. Right. It's a versatile call. It's directional. You know, you, you, you cup your hands. Now, you know, I hear a lot of people and see a lot of people that want to cup both hands around the call. I don't necessarily do that. I, I hold that call right down in the bell, and I, I know a lot of people say, well, I'm left-handed, I'm right-handed, I want a call that fits this way, I want one that fits that way. And, you know, that, that has never bothered me. I just adjust to the call itself, you know, and so it doesn't really matter which wing it comes off of to me. You know, I just learned to play that call. It's called spending time with it, getting used to that particular call. Because if I build a call for a guy, I'm not going to ask him, are you left-handed or right-handed? You know, in fact, I don't even know which one will go with a left-handed or right-handed guy because, like I said, they're all the same to me. But when you get into playing that call, and, and, you know, I'll cup it with one hand with a small chamber. I put my other hand up against it at the bottom, and I will direct that sound by opening my off hand to the sound that I want it to go to. And it's like an old turkey hen that's standing out there, you know, and her her head is, is pivoting, you know. She's projecting that, that sound. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she may be looking off to the left over here at this, at this old head that comes out here on this oak flat, and she may be projecting her voice over there. Well, in the same time, she flips her head around to the right side over here towards a field that's 200 yards away. And that's one of the things that I find that is so good about an air operated call, whether it be a wing bone trumpet, cane yelper, whatever. But, you know, to me, that wing bone just has a sound to it. And I'm not, you know, <laughs> there's a knack to building a wing bone that has rasping. I've, I've always heard people say that a wing bone always sounds clear, but it's not so much as, as the wing bone itself. It's how you're playing that call and how that call was built. And that's what I try to put into all my calls is I want I want that rasp in that call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I've got in calling matches with hens before. As soon as you hit that wing bone, this old hen will get fired up, you know. This gobbler's fired up. And you're, in a, you're actually in a calling match with this old hen over here to keep her from going straight to that gobbler or that gobbler going to her. Right. So, you know, you've got to outdo her and, and catch him on the way by. Yeah. Which, you know. He, he he's coming, he's coming to the one that's gonna sound the most like the turkey. And, and like I said, I, I've been in too many calling matches with hens. You know, you can play a box call and you don't hear nothing. You you pick up one of these wing bones, and all of a sudden you hear a hen over there, ow, 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 back at you. And so that's enough to convince me which one sounds the most like a turkey. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So we've talked about this a little bit, and you have kind of hinted around as to how much practicing you've done, but let's, I know everybody's different and I know some people just have an ear for sound 
and they can duplicate any sound with almost any kind of instrument or their voice or whatever it happens to be. So some people are going to pick up a wingbone collar or a trumpet collar or any kind of a collar and just be good at it almost right away. Yeah. But let's just say for the average person, what kind of practicing do you think someone needs who's just picked up a wingbone collar for that person to feel comfortable using it in the woods on a turkey hunt? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I had a guy walk up to the booth one day. I had three or four calls laying there. Had his girlfriend with him. He's 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 19, 20, 21 years old, you know. Mm-hmm. He walks up, and he asked me, one. well, I, I was thinking to say one of the dumbest questions in the world, but I'm not so sure that it was. <laughs> He says, uh, can you play those? I said, yeah, I, I can play them. I said, can you? And he says, never played one before in my life. And so anyway, I said, well, we'll pick one of them up. He said, uh-uh. And so he said, let me hear you play it first. And I, I picked one up and played it. I said, all right. Now, I, I played it. I said, so now you pick you one up. And he's standing there, you know, he looks over there at his girlfriend. She's smiling at him. And he picks one up. I said, all right. I said, here's the first thing you want to do. I said, let's just start with making a cluck. Just, you know, like that. Well, three or four tries, he was making that cluck. I said, okay. I said, let's let's start with the yelp. I said, now, let's just try to get us a high pitch. I said, start by doing that. And he says, Beep. I said, all right. I said, now draw that air all the way to the back of your throat and drop it. Beep. Well, it wasn't but two or three tries he had it. I said, Bo, there you go. I said, now just speed him up a little bit. Beep. 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 And, you know, he's sitting there beaming from ear to ear like he's some kind of professional here in front of his girlfriend <laughs> over here. You know, <laughs> he buys the call from me. And I told him, I said, now listen, I said, go home and practice with it. I said, don't just carry it and you bought it. I said, don't treat it as a novelty. I said, this is a tool. And, you know, I think a lot of people buy wing bones for that because, hey, they're beautiful calls. They're natural calls. They come from an animal or fowl bird that they've killed. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But anyway, you know, it comes from, from something out of the wild, you know. And so a lot of people decorate them up real pretty and all like this, and people buy them and put them in shadow boxes. They put them up there on their on their mantelpiece in their curio cabinets and what have you, and they never take that call out again. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes a guy comes along, and he's got a friend of his that will not tell him, hey, man, that you need to practice, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so many guys... When you ask them, what do you think that sounds? Oh, man, that sounds good. That sounds, man, that sounds good. Well, it may and it may not. You know, I, I being never heard this guy after he's left my table before. I don't know what he sounds like now. But, you know, I, I have to quote my buddy Russell Beard. He's got an avatar that says, or a signature line that says, when a turkey gets ready to, to commit suicide, you just can't stop him. <laughs> and I hold to that. But I will say this, I don't think that turkeys are as alarmed 
from an air-operated calls, if you make a mistake is what they are. If you make a mistake, you squeak on a glass call, that bird, he's done folded his wings back over his back. He's probably fixing to leave out to the next county. But as far as the practice, like I said, you can't practice too much with the air-operated call. And the one thing that I would tell anybody is take that call home, turn the TV off, get away from your wife, your kids, your girlfriend, whatever, and just sit there and practice and make those subtle sounds because anybody can yelp to three counties over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the secret is not being loud. It's being soft and subtle, but knowing when to get loud would one. So, you know, it's just, like I said, I, I'm out here 360 days a year with a call stuck in my mouth. The average person probably has two weeks before the season, and, you know, he treats it as his go-to call in the morning times uh, after he's gone through his mouth calls, his box calls, his pot calls, his scratch boxes. Then he falls back on the wing bone, and I've got guys that, that I have built calls for, and every year they're calling me, want, hey, Mark, I need another call. I got a buddy over here, you know, this guy's out in Indiana out here hunting. That's the only call that the bird will respond to. I got one in Alabama that's the same way, Mississippi. So yeah, just spend time with the call. And, and that's with any call, not just a wing bone. That's right. with a box call. In order to get the full potential of a box call out of there, you got to know how to stroke that thing, how to hold that lid, you know, where to start your yelp at and all like that. And, and it's the same way with every call. But, you know, practice, practice, practice. But as far as your question, I believe a man, if and, and you said a key word a while ago about having the ear for a turkey. Mm-hmm. If that guy's got an ear for a turkey, listen to what that turkey's doing. Play that call to him. And a lot of people, they get all wrapped up and listen to themselves. Man, I'm on the roll with this. Yep, they just keep right on and on and on. You know, which we all know that turkeys can't count. Some some turkeys are yelp three times. Some might yelp seven or eight times. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying that, that there's a set rule. Cluck twice, yelp three times. Cluck one time, yelp eight times. But you, you got to sound turkey in order to, to be like one. And whenever you get off out there, just imagine yourself, just imagine that hen in your mental eye up there your mind's eye, and make those sounds. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. It's just a, a kind of a random off-the-wall question, but it's completely related to playing a wingbone call or a trumpet or, heck, even a diaphragm call. I, and I think that one of the biggest problems a lot of people have, and me included at times and with certain calls, is control of the airflow. Yeah. Do you have any tips on how to control that, or, or does that just go right back to, hey, practice with that call, and then well, you'll figure out how to how to control the air with it better? Yeah, it, it, it does. A lot of it, the shorter your call is, the more you've got to be able to control your airflow. The longer the call you have to draw more air. Myself, obviously, I'm no Mark Prudham. I'm no Zach Farmer. They play with a whole different style. Uh, there's a couple of more guys out there that uh, uh, Larry Prophet plays. 
the Zach Farmer styles. It's a totally different sound than what the old Turpin sound is, which Turpin sound is that you make a kissing motion, mm-hmm. which I totally disagree with. I guess I'm kind of halfway in between the, the, the Turpin and the Farmer style of playing one. I believe in drawing that air all the way to the back of your throat. But, you know, uh, air control is something that is it's a mental game. Uh, like I said a while ago, anybody can pick up a call and play that you can hear a turkey or that you could call a turkey over into the next county over there. You know, you just kind of block all this stuff out. And like I said a while ago, you get in your, your, your mind's eye and you just envision this turkey and, and, you know, you just relax. You know, just put it in your mind. I, I, I want to cluck softly this time. But now, granted, it's a <laughs> It's a little hard to do when you got a gobbler standing out there at a hundred right. yards. Yeah. Your mind's not really on this call. Your mind's on killing that gobbler and getting that gobbler to come on in. But the two of them are related because that gobbler is not expecting to hear somebody blowing his eardrums out and they're not but a hundred yards away. He's, he's wanting to hear, well, I'm over here. I'm over here scratching and feeding around over here. So if you want over here, so you know, you just have to block that out of your mind and just pop, 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 pop. and that's the way I do whenever I do a video or anything. I walk back towards the camera and about halfway back I have to condition myself and think I'm getting closer to the camera. I need I need to start mellowing this thing down. I need to start backing off the pressure of this call. You know, you you can get these sharp yelps and sharp clucks by tightening the tension on there, but it's it's really just a mental game, Andy. I mean, you just have to, to, to make yourself back off of that pressure, and, and, and you want to produce that sound. So, you know, I, I guess that's the best way I know to answer you on that. Yeah, uh, I will yeah. tell you this, that a lot of times, the louder you get, especially with a hen bone, and I may have touched on a little bit while ago, about people wanting hen bones, well, naturally you can get more, more of a hard bark on the back end of a goblet bone, but a hen bone, you know, is going to be a little bit finer. And you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Some people may disagree with me on this. You know, I've never heard a hen say, Aah! you know, <laughs> I've never heard them do that. I've never heard a real hard bark on the back end of yep on a hen. You know, a hen doesn't have as near hard a rollover as what that gobbler does. Yeah. So, and when you get down into the little tiny feeding stuff, like I said, all you want to hear, you know, and and stuff like that. So, you know, I I guess that's that's as best I can answer your question on that. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that because... Yeah, I think it's a struggle for a lot of people, and that's, I think, aside from people gagging on a diaphragm call, that's probably the number two reason why the people who don't use a diaphragm don't like them, is that yeah. lack of the air control. Right, so, right. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you this, and you've talked about it a couple of different times, and I think if the listeners go online, they're going to hear or read a different opinion from every person that's got an opinion to give about this. Yeah. But you, based on what I've read on the forums, and you and I haven't talked about this yet, but you like 
using gobbler bones. And, and I read a post that you put on the forum that said that the gobbler bones from the gobblers that you kill there in South Georgia are probably the same size as the hen bones from the hens that these guys up north kill. Yeah. And that does not surprise me to hear that or to read that. So some people say use hen bones only in making a wing bone call. Some people say what you're probably going to say, which is they can both work and they can both sound like a hen. But what is? tell me what your thoughts are about the difference in the, the gobbler and the hen bones. And then this is going to sound like what you're going to call the second dumbest question that anybody's ever asked you. I want you to tell me what the difference in a two-bone and a three-bone collar is and which one you prefer, but I think you know where I'm going with that question. I want to know the difference in the sound and how, you know, if there's a difference in how you can work them. Uh, I know one has two bones and one has three bones. (laughs) Right. Well, well, let's start this thing backwards. All right. I have, whenever... I started back years ago, and, and I actually started building these things to sell in 2011. And I'd built some wing bones back previous years, you know, probably 10 years before, and they were all two-bone calls, and they were out of gobblers. Well, and they didn't sound worth the flip. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like I've heard guys say before, the reason I started building calls was because I never could find the call that suited me. You know, I'm not I'm not going to say that. I'm going to be honest with you. Right. The reason I got into it was to nobody was building these calls and I, at the time I knew of two guys that were building wing bone calls. I knew of nobody that was building a cane yelper. I knew of nobody that was building a Jordan style call, which in my interpretation of a Jordan style calls is two pieces of river cane and a bone mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you a little story about that in a little bit. But anyway, so I wanted to build these calls. So in 2011, I, I gathered me up some cane and, and built those. And, you know, got in touch with a buddy of mine who, who I take that back, I need three wing bone makers. But this guy, he said, Mark, if you want to start building wing bones and all, he said, I, I'm, I'm about getting out of it and just building turn trumpets. So anyway, so I started building a few of those cane yuppers. And, and man, Andy, I wish you could could just see how my, my calls have evolved in just a short period of time. Yeah. And But back to your initial question of the two-bone calls, I never could get that call to sound the way I wanted it to. It was always too coarse, too deep. And so, anyway, guy gave me some measurements there. And, you know, as a call maker, you ain't everybody, ever going to tell anybody your exact dimensions. Exactly. So, anyway, I played around with those on a three-bone yelper, and that's what I got into building. Well, here a couple of years ago, I decided, you know, I can't just build three-bone calls. I said, I'm going to build two or three two-bone calls. Well, it, to me, that two-bone call is harder to get to sound right than a three-bone call is. You know, number one, you've got a big, long mouthpiece. you got a big, long bell bone down there, which comes out of that middle bone on that wing. And, you know, they're, to me, 
they're a little bit more finicky. Now, you may talk to three or four other people that tells you just the opposite. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've you got to consider rollover in that call. Uh, you've got to consider pitch in there. And so I have just found it easier for me to build a three-bone call. Now, you brought up the fact about the gobbler bones. I don't necessarily favor building a call out of gobbler bones. If you ask me what was my best call to build, it'd probably be out of young Jake bones. Hmm. Now, whenever I say young Jake bones, you know, I'm not talking about a four or five pound Jake. When you get to there, you're getting so small. And generally, as a general rule, what I'll do in a situation like that is I'll use the mouthpiece bone, the center bone, and I'll put a smaller, I mean, a small adult gobbler bone on the end of it. That way it doesn't sound so so tinny, so high-pitched. You get a little bit more rollover out of it. Now, back to the gobblers down here where I hunt at. Most of the gobblers that I kill down here are going to weigh 14 and a half, 15 and a half, maybe 16 pounds. That's what I kill down there at Fort Stewart. I, I believe that they're an old native strain of turkey mm-hmm. that just doesn't get very big, whether they be native or, they, or it's lack of food or whatever, you know, the, the nutritions or whatever. You know, they just seem to work good for me. But like I said, a young Jake. And, and you know, a lot of guys... And I'm going to get into this here, too, right here. You know, I, I've got guys that, that will call me and say, listen, I, I killed a gobbler this year. I I would love to have a, a wing bone built out of a turkey that I kill. And my reply to that is, well, you can send me your bones, and I'll look at them. I, I said, I, you know, I'll cut the knuckles off of them, and I'll look at them, and I'll see if it'll build a good call. And if, and if I think it does, I'll build you a call. If not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boil your bones down. I'm going to bleach them out. I'm going to send them back to you. And, and, you know, you can get whoever, Joe Blow, whoever to build you a call out of them because it's my name that's on that call. Right. And so I, I look at – I had a guy send me some one time. I'll tell you this little quick story. guy sent me some bones. He said, Mr. Mark, he said, I got three gobblers here. He said, uh. I say the wing bones for you. I said, okay. And so, anyway, he's had them out on his clothesline out there drying, you know. He he skint 50% of the meat off of them. He's sitting out there drying. He packages them up and sticks them in a Ziploc bag, ships them to me. Well, I'm out of town working. My wife gets a phone call from the postal service up here, post office, and Says your husband's got a package up here. Said a uh, mail lady refuses to deliver. Said you need to come get it. She said, and by the way, it'll be sitting outside. Mm. So my wife, she goes and gets it. She says, I must love you to put them stinking things in my vehicle and bring them back home. Mm. So I said, well, just sit them out there on my boat. I said they'll be fine till I get home. And I got home and I got me some some borax on the way home. And I brought them here, uh, emptied them out, and as soon as I emptied them out, I hit them with cold water, picked them up, threw them in that borax, zipped that lid up. I threw them out here in my shop floor for about six months. <laughs> Every time I'd walk by them, I'd just kick them over, you know. Yeah. Well, the scent went out of those bones. I finally got them out, rinsed them down, got them separated. And, Andy, those were some of the best bones that – anybody has sent me they were 
of fully adult gobbler bones, but they had the thickest walls on them of any that I've seen. Hmm. And so the the inside was real small on them. Yeah. And I don't know if it was from what they'd been eating, the protein, the minerals in the soil, what it was. But I told him, I said, you know, I said, I'll take every set of bones that you can get from that area up there. And, and they made good bones. I had a guy one time on one of the forums talking about you just can't make a gobbler bone sound like a hen turkey. Well, I walked up to him in Nashville one year, and I said, listen, I said, I want you to listen to this call. And I played that very first call there that I played for you. I said, how's that sound? He said, man, that thing sounds good. I said, well, this is 100% gobbler bones. He said, well, I figured I was going to catch some flack on some of that. (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) But, you know, and like I said, I've had hen bones from from Wisconsin, Ohio, and places like that, and those hens up there will will weigh more than what our gobblers will down here. And a, and a few years ago, a couple of years, I reckon, I posted up a picture on on Facebook of a hen bone. I was holding a hen bone and a gobbler bone, the mouthpiece bone, in in between my thumb and index finger, and I took a picture of it, and I asked which was which. Well. You know, you got to know a little bit about the bones to be able to tell which is which. You know, one's a, an oval hole and one's kind of an oblong with kind of teardrop-shaped hole. And so, but to answer your question, I don't have a problem with using a hen mouthpiece, hen center section, and a small gobbler bell. In fact, I had a predominant call maker to tell me that that was the combination that he liked to use whenever he built one. And, and uh, here's another thing that I was getting at a while ago originally. When people call me and say, I, I want a call bill out of my calls, uh, you know, you're going to take what Mother Nature gives you. I don't mind building them like that. They generally, if somebody's got a good set of hen bones, they'll build a good call. Somebody's got a good set of Young gobbler bones, they'll build a good call. But personally, myself, I like to take a mouthpiece and a center section, and I generally start with a center section. That's that's my first piece of bone that I pick out. I pick out that center bone, and I look at it. I look at the wall thickness on it. I look and see how much I can file off of that, that center bone. And I want it to fit in snugly into a bell. And I like a mouthpiece that fits good into that call. So, you know, I've got an assortment of bones over here. I've got bell bones, center bones, and mouthpiece bones, all of them in different things. And if somebody calls me, if you call me today and say, hey, Mark, build me a good wing bone, I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to build you a call out of the best set of bones that I have in that stash of bones that I've got. Like I said, a lot of times if you're building a hand bone, you know, well, this bone's a little bit big. It, it don't want to really fit down in this bell bone real good. Or then maybe the the hole in this mouthpiece bone is a little bit bigger than it should be for the center section of this call. So, you know, I, I weigh all that out. And like I said, I, I, I've got bones in my freezer here that, people have sent to me in fact i've got a set right over here right now that a guy killed a bearded hen out in new mexico out there and and they're building a good set of bones and but (laughs) 
I build them out of all kinds of different bones and all different combinations. I can't say that, that every call I build's got a, a hen bone, mouthpiece, hen bone, center section, hen bone, hen piece. You know, in fact, I even use some, some goose bones. You know, I'll put a goose bone, hen bone, center section, and a hen bone bell. You know, I mean, it's just whatever it takes to make that turkey sound. That's what I'm after, you know. I, I'm wanting to build that guy the absolute best-sounding, authentic-sounding turkey call that I can build him. So all those all those subtle things come into effect, you know. It's just, it's just I guess, having that ear for a turkey sound. You know, it's not being afraid to step outside the boundaries, you know. I, 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 every, every bone that comes in, I don't, I don't clip them together. I mean, I had a guy to send me a whole pile of bones, and, and he had them rubber band together. Well, this one's off the left wing. This is off the right wing. Here's a bird that's left wing, right wing, left wing, white wing. Well, the first thing I do is cut all that rubber bands off, throw them in a thing down there, and I'm sitting here picking out that center section of bone. Okay, I like this one. I pick me out a bell part, and then I pick me out a mouthpiece to go with that. So, you know, it's... I don't always like to keep the bones together, but if you see me a set of calls and say, hey, this is from a hen I killed, this is from a gobbler I killed, and like I said, we revert back to I'm going to cut the knuckles off that those bones. In fact, two weeks ago, I just sit, shipped a set back to Wisconsin that were too big. You got yeah. 24, 25-pound gobblers up there. Right. I'm looking at 14 and 15 and a half pound birds down here. So yeah. the big difference in size, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. 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 So I'm not going to ask you to give out any of your trade secrets. You already know that. And if I cross the line, I'm expecting you to tell me to shut up. <laughs> well, I just won't answer you. <laughs> I tell you to move on. <laughs> uh, you know, and you mentioned it, turkey hunters are finaglers they're tinkerers and yeah. a lot of us like to either try to make our own calls or do make our own calls but if sure. someone wanted to to make their own wing bone collar which bones would which bones do we use to make that wing bone collar and i know from talking to you now that you're looking at bones and you can probably tell just by looking at one and, and picking it up if it's going to make a good sounding call or not, but how can we know which bones will make a good sounding collar based on the density or thickness of the walls or whatever else? Well, like I said, the, the, one of the key things is, okay, you know, a guy kills a nice bird. It's a memorable hunt. He wants a call out of it. Uh, don't be in such a big hurry. You know, uh, yeah. take you several seasons of calls. You know, save your bones. Put them in a pile over there, you know, scrape the meat off of them, boil them down, put them up, bleach them. I mean, I don't use bleach. I use hydrogen peroxide. Peroxide them, let them dry, put them up. Wait till you get you a good set of bones. And like I said, don't feel like that, okay, this bone come off of a bird that I killed in Ohio in 2017. I want to call out of it. Because number one, well, I'll tell you this story. I had a guy called me one time and it's first and only time and the last time that I'm ever going to do this. Uh, a guy contacted me one time. He said, Hey Mark, he said, uh, I've got this, this bird that I killed. And he said, I, I, I glued these bones up together. And he said, 
I want your artwork on that call. He said, and, and would you build the joints up on it and wrap it for me and put a finish on there? And first of all, I told him, I said, listen, I said, I'll wrap your call. I'll put the finish on it, but I'm not drawing my feather on there. And, you know, I got to thinking about it. And I said, well, you know, maybe I will draw my feather. But on the backside of that call, whenever I inscribed it, I put who the call was made for. And I put wrapped and finished by me in the day, you know, yeah. because, I mean, Andy, this call was 11 and a half inches long, you know, hey, the guy just glued bones together. There was no sanding on them. And, you know, that that's what I say. I mean, they, they sounded terrible. And like I said, it's my name that goes on that call. If it's not going to build a good call, I'm not going to build it for you. I don't care if you tell me what. You know, I'm just going to put it on my mantelpiece. Sooner or later, somebody's going to come along that knows how to play a wing bone and going to pick that thing up. They're going to say, where in the world did you get this piece of junk from? Mm-hmm. And they're going to flip it over and they're going to see my name on it. But, you know, I guess the, the biggest piece of advice that I could give a guy that, that is wanting to, to build his own call is is not being too big a hurry. Get you Get you some bones to choose from. Don't just say this was a memorable hunt. Wingbone's a turkey call. It is a tool to be used. Right. Would you go out and ju- and just take you a piece of wood on a table saw, cut you out a box call, and that thing sound like a frog croaking and say, well, I built this. By golly, I'm going to use it. <laughs> you know, no, you wouldn't. You're wanting the best thing that, that, that imitates the voice of that turkey. So that's what you're after, and that's the same thing that you're doing with a wing bone. Man, I, I, I have seen wing bones from five and a half inches long up to 11 and a half, 12 inches long. Consistency is one of the biggest things in a turkey call, you know, consistent. I mean, you can put 95%, 98% of my calls up beside one another, and they're going to be within an eighth, sixteenth of each other, you know. You can't come here with one set of bones and cut it, cut them, make the total overall length of you call six inches and the next one's eight and a half inches long. You know, you got to be consistent with it. Bone density. Be be careful when you sand that bale, you know, and when you ream it out that little spider web stuff in the end of that bale, be careful that you don't get too awful thin. You look for your a smaller hole, the smallest hole that you can get in your center section. Now, you can get too awful small with your mouthpiece in there. I mean, that mouthpiece got to match that center section. But really and truly, I don't pay a whole lot of attention. Whenever I'm out here building the call, I got a set certain depth that I glue my center section into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything hinges off of that, hinges most of it hinges off that mouthpiece up there. You got to think that this bell is nothing but a megaphone. How loud do you want to be? How much air can you can you baffle off of it? So to answer that, I, that's you know I, I reckon I've answered about all I can answer on that, <laughs> and not say too much. Yeah. Well, and you're at the point where you're looking at the bones and picking them up and knowing if they're going to be good ones to use or not versus, you know, someone who's going to try to build one themselves. It's just going to be trial and error and right. getting that right one. And I, I think the best piece of advice you gave in that was don't be in a hurry, you know, get That's several right. sets of bones and 
that makes perfectly good sense. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you have to look at it. Is it a novelty or is, is it a tool that you're wanting to use out in the woods? Only that person can be the judge of that. You know, I mean, I've seen beautiful calls that people have built. Hey, this commemorate little Johnny's first turkey over here. You know, well, it's a 24-pound gobbler. Well, yeah, that call's going to be special, little Johnny. Little Johnny's going to prize that thing till the day he dies. And then he'll hand it down to his children, and then his grandchildren end up with it. But, you know, if little Johnny wants to go out when he's 20 years old and say, I'm going to kill a turkey with this call, then you get back to the rule of thumb that when a turkey gets ready to commit suicide, you just can't stop him. Mm-hmm. But and, and I'll 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 say something other else right here at this point too that a lot of people don't realize how important lip stop adjustment is on a air operated call and also the shape of that lip stop. I had one the other day that whenever I built the call, it sounded jam up. Well, whenever I turned the lip stop on it, you know it was missing a little something. It's still a good call, but I wasn't able to play it. And I got to looking at it, and I said, well, this lip stop's a little bit too flat on the top. And I crowned that lip stop just a little bit more, and that call came right on around. So the shape of that lip stop, the lip stop depth on it, you know, uh, Jim Castle told me one time, he said, Parker Whedon played a call with the lip stop set deeper than anybody he's ever seen, and that was about three-eighths of an inch. Well, one thing I have found, that the smaller diameter of the mouthpiece bone, the further I have to run that lip stop down. Right. The bigger that bone is, the more I bring it up to the top, and it doesn't take but a sixteenth or thirty-second of moving that thing, you know, and, and all of a sudden that collar start coming around. Now, one thing I found is my wife, she she can play one as good as any anybody else can. She's got a mouthpiece that's sticking out maybe an eighth of an inch. I cannot even begin play that call like that. And, you know, it all depends on the shape of your mouth, how thick your lips are. And, and I found that whenever I shoot it up there to the top, I can get good clucks, clucks and cuts out of it. But I'm not getting any front end on my yelp. So I start moving that lip stop down till I start getting some front end and where my keys are coming in clear. If my keys are slurring, then I need to move that lip stop down just a tiny bit. But like I said, one of the key parts of these things is that lip stop adjustment, and that is one of the most overlooked parts of an air-operated call. I don't care who built it. If you get that call from me, that call is set where I play it good at. Play with that thing, move it a little bit, and that's the reason I went to the rubber because the cork has such a bad memory. You move it a few times and it just flops. Same way with EV foam. I hate that stuff. You know, it's got such a memory to it. But anyway, that lip stop is a crucial part of that call. And I hear people say, well, I can play one just as good without a lip stop. Well, I'm no bow hunter. I know a lot of people that are. I know what a kisser button is. That ensures that string comes back to the same place every time, and that's the same thing that that lip stop does. You know, if I get a little bit excited and want to cut a little bit hard on one, I'm not shoving that call up further in my mouth and then having to roll right into a yelp on the end of it. So that 
that lip stop on that wing bone is your kisser butt. Mm-hmm. That's a great comparison for sure. Well, I've got on here for my next question to ask you to walk us through just the basic process of making a wing bone collar from start to finish. But you know what? I think I'm going to skip that one because you can walk us through on an audio recording all day long and maybe somebody can figure it out maybe somebody can't but i do know that there's videos on youtube that people can watch that might be more helpful just on showing somebody how to make a basic wingbone collar right so let's do this let's get into a turkey hunting story okay because i love turkey hunting stories <laughs> and you're a turkey hunter and i know you like them too <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so tell me the story of your last successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that made that hunt a success. Well, last year, I went into Fort Stewart down there. You know, I'm I'm down there way before daylight every morning, and, and they got several areas open, several clothes all around you, you know. And yeah. Seems like the closer the post you get, the more traffic you get. And, you know, I, I'd been to this area before, and, I saw where a big gobbler went across the road here a couple of years before. And so, anyway, I knew where that gobbler was headed. He was headed into a thick old bay in there. And I had to fight my way in there and fight my way back out. But anyway, then later on, I discovered a road that went down in there. And so I sit there and walk myself down there. And I get there and about 200 yards from it, I see the glint sunlight off of a vehicle down there you know some yahoo's driven his truck right up to one of the prime hunting areas that's another pet peeve of mine is guys that's too sorry to get out of their truck and walk to where they want to hunt at but mm-hmm. anyway uh you know this year I, I went down in there and i knew that there was birds using down in there and i, I spent all morning listening and you know it's a beautiful morning you know you hear owls hooting and then the crows start up, and, but no turkey gobbles. And this place is so pretty. I said, you know, there's, there's got to be a turkey down in there. So anyway, about 1 o'clock, I've done had my bainy sausages and all that. Yeah. I walked down this road. It's pretty far piece back in there, probably half a mile back to this bay. I get back down there, and I find me an old deer trail, and I walk in on it. I get down in there, and a lot of these bays down here, you know, they'll be thick as devil on the outside, and then they'll look them up real pretty inside of them there. And so, anyway, I, I get in there, and I stand there for a few minutes and just let everything kind of get back quiet and all that. And I, I pull out my wing bone, and I yelp on a time or two there, and I sit there and listen, you know. I get a little bit more aggressive, and I hear this bird gobble at me so you know and the thing about it is is he's probably not 150 yards from me and i'm thinking well you heard me the first time but you didn't say anything mm-hmm. so i find me a little tussock to sit down on it it's pretty muddy in there i find me a little tussock to sit down on wait a few minutes and i, I give him another yelp or two there and he fires right back at me about a 45 minutes later, I finally killed this bird. He comes sneaking up on my left over there, and I shoot and kill him. And one of the biggest things that sometimes that I have problems with is is patience. You know, this bird gobbles, and naturally you're all excited, and you want to kill him as quick as you can. And so 
that's one of the things that, that I have to watch myself in fact is how often I call to a bird, you know, and I know that a lot of people that have a bird gobbles, they feel like they got to answer him right back. Been guilty of that myself on, on numerous occasions. And so anyway, you know, I, like I said, it, it's 45 minute hunt and I'm sitting there just, no, don't call, you know, let him come hunting you. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things is, is not be afraid that I feel like is, is not be afraid to get off the beaten path because most everybody else is going to hunt right where they can drive to. They're not willing to put in the, the boot leather right, to get down there to those places. They're, they're not willing to sit there and wait a bird out. I knew that there were birds in this area. Uh, they've been there for the last two or three years that have been in there. And so, you know, I guess just patience and perseverance, sticking around till one o'clock during the day. I've killed gobblers before at, you know, at the crack of day. And, you know, you come out, take your gobbler back to the truck. You meet a couple of guys coming down the road and, you know, you, you throw your gold bird over there in the bushes so that they won't see that you killed a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they pull up there where you at and they want to know how, what kind of what morning you've had you know and, and you know the old story well it, I've heard one or two or whatever hadn't heard anything or you know just however much you can get by with and so anyway these two old guys say well we fit and go eat breakfast and it was like 8 o'clock in the morning 8.30 in the morning and I've always been one of those guys that like to hunt all day because I've always had the philosophy that, you know, I can't kill a turkey sitting at the house. Right. But, you know, since I've started building turkey calls, I do find it a little bit harder to know that I've got a year and a half waiting list, people waiting on a turkey call. I'm down there in the woods turkey hunting all day long. So... I try to do what I can do. I try to be fair and honest about it. You know, the guy's on my list. You know, I want to get him built. But, you know, I'm still willing to go that extra mile. I'm still willing to be there at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the day to kill that bird. Mm-hmm. Especially if I know he's there. So, you know, I mean, uh, like like I told you earlier, deer hunting used to be something other that I, I live for whenever I was a kid. But the more I've turkey hunted, the less deer hunting has become to me. I mean, I'm I'm just sold out on turkey hunting. Yeah. I love building these calls. So, you know, you kind of got to weigh the two of them together there. Absolutely. You know, that that's, that's kind of where I'm at here now. Yeah. Sometimes, too, you have to be careful and not let that list burn you out. You know, it's easy uh, when you get started. You know, you got a big old list of calls here to build, and you, if you continue at it day in day out day after day after day and pretty soon you get kind of burnt out on i've kind of been there a time or two you know like i told you earlier i kind of felt like that i was cheating my wife you know wasn't spending enough time with her so you have to balance your turkey hunting and your call making and your family life yeah there's no doubt about it yeah well good deal mark man i can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on the show and share some of your knowledge about wingbone callers with us and i've just thoroughly enjoyed this i mean this has been a blast for me i've learned a lot and have just enjoyed our conversation a great deal so i thank you a a whole lot for that and 
would love to have you on the show again sometime in the future and maybe to talk a little bit more strategy and talk a little bit yeah. more turkey hunting stories as well. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll get up there to Unicoi in January well, and I, be able to shake your hand and say hello in person. Yeah, well, I, I look forward to seeing you up there. Like I said, you know, I've got two or three guys that's kind of that I've kind of tootled you along a little bit. And, uh, you know, they're they're coming along good. So I've, yep. I've kind of created a monster in a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, so wouldn't surprise me sometimes that the student don't don't get outside the teacher a little bit, you know, and, and rise above. But first and foremost, I'd like to say that, that what I build, and, and, you know, I made reference to this a while ago, that there's guys that can certainly outwrap me. Uh, I've seen some dynamic calls. There's guys that got artwork that just far supersedes anything that I can do. But, you know, first and foremost, I want to put a tool in a guy's hand. And, you know, my philosophy is I've had mouthpieces broken that guys have sent back to me. I was crawling up on this gobbler and I heard a snap. I thought, Lord, I hope it's a twig. I've had some that was doing fly down cackles and snapped the mouthpiece out of them. And like the guy I told you about that he completely wanted to finish off of his call. I stand behind my calls 100%. You know, you snap the mouthpiece out of it, send it back to me. may take me a little bit because I got to carry that call all the way back down to ground zero and start over with it again. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'll put you a new mouthpiece in it if you bust a bell. And, and that's what I hear a lot of times. Man, that thing is just too pretty to hunt with. I say, listen, you hunt with it, bust it, you know, send it back to me and I'll, I'll fix it. You know, that, that's my goal is to put a, a good hunting call in a man's hand that he will be proud to take to the woods. It's easy on the eyes. And like I said, guys far supersede me in a lot of their wrapping and their finishing and all, you know. I'm all about building the best call that I can and putting it in a guy's hands and hopefully he can have a successful hunt with it and bring home a turkey. And I have truly enjoyed our conversation here. I look forward to seeing you. I'm not going to let you up on that now. I look forward to seeing you there at Unicoi. <laughs> but I feel like that you will have a great time there. And, and I invite anybody to check us out there. You know, we've got a Facebook page over there, Unicoi Callmaker Show. We do not have a website. We do have a waiting list there of callmakers that's wanting to get into to Unicoi. But naturally, the guys that were there at the inception of the show, they had the first option. Sure. And and if, if you've been there last year, then, then you've got to a certain date to to send me your money to ensure that you have a spot for next year. And we have an alternate list that we pull from, you know, as those guys elect not to come and we have a good time. But like I said, man, I, Andy, I've enjoyed talking with you. I could sit here and talk turkeys all night long. And you and I have, have been on the phone longer than what we thought we would be. But, but anyway, I, I've enjoyed it. Look forward to meeting a lot of new people and, like I said, you know, anybody wants a call from me, all they got to do is give me a call, get on Facebook over there, message me, whatever. And, you know, I'm available most any time. That is fantastic. Well, again, thank you. I just can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it, how much I enjoyed it. And let's do this again sometime soon. I've, Look forward to blast. it, my friend. I sure do. 
All right. Okay. Thanks a bunch. You have a great night. You too, Andy. All righty. Goodbye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Like I told you before we started the interview, Mark is just a great guy, and I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know him better and chatting with him about turkey calls. It is very obvious that he is passionate about making great turkey callers and about the sport of turkey hunting as well. So that is all that I've got for you guys this week. But before I cut you loose, I'm going to ask you for a favor. The favor this week is this. If you're thinking about buying a wingbone collar, then give Mark a call and let him know that you heard him on this show. That's a big help for me. That's a big help for Mark. And it'll be a big help for you as well when you get your wingbone collar from him and call in and kill that old call shy Tom. So that's all that I've got for you guys this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and wonderful and safe Halloween. And I'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.